0: Um, this morning, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to 1 John, chapter 2. Uh, we're also going to be going through God's Word this morning in Matthew, chapter 4. Before we begin, I want to uh, kind of, it was hinted in announcements, but again, Sunday mornings, we started this morning at 9 a.m., going through the Baptist faith and catechism. You know, what we believe, why we believe what we believe and, and, and I would encourage anyone who is able and willing to come and, and share this time and, and, and just get to the root of, you know, why are we here? What, what, what are our beliefs? Um, you know, it's a great learning opportunity. So again, I, it's for anyone, men, women, children, you can talk to Chad uh, and we can get that going. So if you would, if you're able, stand with me and we're going to read through First John uh, verses uh, 15 through 17. A warning about the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions, it is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. amen may be seated. So this morning, this message, you know, titled warning about the world, but more appropriately, we're going to be talking about temptations. Wednesday night, we, we, uh, Chad presented a message uh, going through Matthew and talking about um, worry. This morning, we're going to go through temptation. But to go back into the text, John makes some pretty powerful statements here. He begins with the exhortation, Do not love the world or anything in the world. But he makes a follow-up statement. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In order for us to really understand uh, uh, this passage, we understand what John meant when he said, referring in what he referred to as the world. Is he literally talking about, you know, the world, earth? What he's talking about here is this fallen system of man, this fallen way of life or way of living that is determined to find fulfillment and purpose apart from God. It's basically the way of life that is preached to us outside the church. It's ingrained in the things we watch like television, movies, things we read in magazines, social media, you know, people we encounter at work or in the stores. It's those things, those false philosophies, that continually attempt to tell us how to live, tell us how to love, tell us how to raise our children, it resonates a message that everything is about us. All of these philosophies, all of the system of the world garbage, is teaching and leading people to live uh, live a life apart from God. It's life minus the wisdom and the will of God. And that is what John is talking about here. It's all of those things that are trying to compete with the rightful place God should have in our hearts and our lives. It's the things that can actually draw our attention away from him. It's those things that people turn to, to find fulfillment in place of God. As Christians, as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, God is who we are called upon to follow. God is who we are called to predicate our lives upon. God is who we are to worship. With all this in mind, John makes this statement that if the love of, uh, that if love of the world is happening in our hearts, the love of the Father at the same time cannot be. So how does this happen? Our hearts, they get filled with desires and passions that we place before Him. We place before God. So that we understand what these passions are, John lays them out for us, these sinful passions. Going back to verse 16. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh The lust of the eyes and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. Now we have an idea of what John is talking about here when he says of the world, but he's talking about three specific areas. And I would encourage you to write these down and and, and study these later. One, the cravings of sinful man. Two, the lust of the eyes. And three, the pride or boasting, or what we refer to as the pride of life. So one, the, the cravings of sinful man, two, the lust of the eyes, and three, the pride of life. So exploring these, first we have the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the flesh. What, are we ta- what we're talking about here are those things that entice us to sin, our wants or desires of the flesh, our will apart from God's. It's those things, those wants and our desires of the flesh that can draw and tempt us into sinful behavior. The lust of eyes referring to things that we see, things that may uh, attract us visually so that we may just simply want or want to have them more, desire them more. And third, the boasting of what we have or what we do. The pride of life. This speaks of our desire to be liked by people for you know what we attain or, or have some level of notoriety or position that may, people may think highly of us. And what's interesting about these three things or these themes that... You know, they're found throughout the Bible. You know, if we were to open our Bibles right now, beginning in Genesis, we would only have to, you know, get through the first chapter, two or three chapters before we see these played out. But here's why. These three categories are are ways we are tempted to fall in sin. And the underlining tone of it all, selfishness, self-reliance. So let's look at Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 6. The woman saw Eve... The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. She took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. First, she saw that the fruit in the tree was good for food. It appealed to her simply from the standpoint that, you know, it was good. It was good food, sustenance, it appealed to the flesh. It was appealing to the eye. It was delightful to look at. You know, Satan loves it when the sin we are trying to turn from looks good because when it's pleasing to the eye, he knows we'll probably want it more and go after it harder. Finally, it was desirable for gaining wisdom. This appeals to the pride of life. If I'm, you know, it's like I'm going to be wise and everybody's going to see this and and, and I want these things for my life. So again, we see these three areas. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. As we look throughout and study Scripture, you know, God's Word, there's actually another area where we see these three uh, principles very clearly. We see a little, little bit more of Satan's desire to get us to fall into sin. And this is when Jesus led into the wilderness by the Spirit for 40 days, and tempted t- uh, Satan tempted him. There, the devil came to him, and he tempted him with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Turning to Matthew uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, I, don't, I personally haven't, I don't know if you've ever gone 40 days without food, but I know I just wouldn't be hungry. It's it, it, something way beyond hunger. But the text says that he was hungry, and it tells us that the tempter, tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. This is temptation in its classic form. Satan begins by taking a very normal, perhaps meaningless desire of the flesh, you know, like hunger, and uses that for temptation. You know, we've all been hungry, and I'm sure, you know, some are looking at me right now and thinking, you know, some might be a little shorter today, but, you know, all of a sudden we can start doing advanced physics in our heads and, and trying to do calculus, figuring out how quick we can get to the restaurant for the optimal amount of cheese dip. But let's be honest, in itself, there's nothing wrong with being hungry. You get hungry, you get something to eat. The problem with that is you're hungry again later. But that's how things work. So Jesus was hungry, but that's not the problem. The problem is that Satan will take those normal desires, those normal fleshly needs like hunger or something like that, and he'll wait for an opportune time to come and tempt us about those things. Notice when he came to Jesus. Did he come to Jesus after he had been fasting for an hour or two, maybe a day, maybe a week? No, he came after Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Satan likes to strike us at our moments of most perceived weakness. Satan is not to come to us at our points of strength and suggest temptation in our lives and tempt us away from He will come at those times when we are feeling weak. Not just a little weak, but maybe even a little panicked. Maybe a little worried. It's at those times he will suggest those temptations. Remind us of the situation we're in. So what, what, does, uh, what does he do here? What does Jesus say? Or what does he say to Jesus? If you're a son of God, turn these, bread, or turn these stones to bread. Now, Satan knows exactly who he's talking to. He knows Jesus is the Son of God. But he comes anyway posing a question wrapped in a temptation. You know, why don't you take some of these stones? I know you're hungry, you know, just you know, use your divine power, you know, throw these stones into bread. Now obviously for us, that wouldn't be a temptation because we can't turn stones into bread. But this was a real temptation for Jesus because he could if he wanted to. He could have used this divine power and turned those stones into bread but what would he have been showing us at that time? See, when we think about Jesus, we need to remember, when he came to live this life on earth, he came to live our lives. He came in the flesh. He came to show us how to live. He came to show us how to depend upon the Father every single day of our lives, every provision, every need. What Jesus would have been doing was going outside of what we could do in a regular sort of a sense or fashion, and he would have been depending on himself. And that in itself is what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to take our eyes off God's provision, off God taking care of us and ma- meeting our needs. He wants us to get panicked. He wants us to get worried. And, and he wants us to take care of things on our own. Whatever those things are in our lives, because if he can do that, if he can get us relying on ourselves, what need do we have for God? Look at Matthew 4.4. 4. Jesus answered Satan, and he answered the t- temptation with, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So that's the temptation. We see this every day. Something in our lives, some need, some fleshly desire, just longing to be met. The next point I want to make is the lust of the eyes. And again, this refers to things we see. Things that may attract us visually, so that we may want it more, or, you know, things that are appealing. So turning to Matthew verses eight, uh, chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if if you will fall down and worship me. Notice here in the passage, it doesn't say Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. It said he showed him all the kingdoms and their splendor. Visually, this was a visual temptation. Now, there's always more to it when we see something that we want, just seeing it and wanting it and running after it, there's usually something else going on. In this case, the real temptation for Jesus was to bypass the will of the Father and, and, and what, he was, what He came to us to do. You know, Jesus is Lord of all. He came to His disciples after His resurrection. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. But what, what was the path for Jesus to get there. It was being rejected by His people. It was beatings. It was scourgings. It was being spat upon. It was being hung and crucified on a cross. It was taking the full wrath of God due to us upon Himself. It was His resurrection. You remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed and said, but not my will, Father, but Your will be done. Jesus knew from the standpoint of the human aspect of pain That everything that went along with it, and this was going to hurt. He was going to take the full wrath of God, we were due, upon himself. So again, referring to the text, Satan comes along and he says, hey, you know what? We can get this whole thing done right now. No death, no beatings, none of the blood, none of the scourgings, no spear through the side, none of it. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. And that in itself You see, there's always a compromise. There's always a compromise when Satan comes to get our attention off God, off his plan for us, and to get our eyes on something else. There's there's always a compromise, and if we compromise on the little things, how do you think we're going to react to the big ones? Coming to the last point this morning, John refers to as sins of the world, or the pride of life. So we're looking at verses 5 and 6. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now this is an interesting temptation, and I had to get my mind around this, and, some may th- and I'm sure some of you are thinking the same thing I did. What does this have to do with the pride of life? How exactly does jumping off the highest point of a temple constitute temptation in the category of the pride of life? Simply put, the temptation wasn't so much in the jumping as it was in the result of the jumping. What Satan was saying to Jesus, it wasn't the jump that was going to be so cool, but it was the landing that was going to be so great. Satan said, Isn't it written that the angels will take you up in your hands so, you will not strike a foot against a stone. Here's the temptation. The temple is a place where all the people are gathering, hanging out. It's always filled with people, somebody's always scattered. So, imagine for a moment if Jesus would have given in and he would have jumped. Imagine him floating gently to the ground in front of everyone for all to see. What do you suppose the, 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 the people around the temple and what their actions would be? Probably something like, you know, here he is, here's the Savior. Here's the Messiah. He's floating down. He's right here. What an easy way Satan is suggesting to Jesus to have the appreciation of the people without having to go through the rejection, the death, and everything in between. And let's be honest. We all like being liked. We all want to be appreciated. But that's what the pride of life is all about. It's finding those things through illegitimate means. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted. Kids, teenagers, adults... Where's the compromise? Where do we draw those lines? You see, the devil's always lingering about to suggest an answer to the need, to a want, to a desire. But it's always an illegitimate answer, never keeping with God's will. It always comes with a compromise. It always involves us attempting to take control of a situation, attempting to get it done now on our terms, and simply not waiting for God and His provisions and His will and His purpose. You see, I believe God, according to his word, has a plan for all of us. And here's a question. Will you wait? You see, Satan wants us to jump, and he wants us to jump now. Make things our own. Do things according to our will, according to our desires, and not God's. Satan, you know, he likes to say, don't trust God. Do what you think is right. You don't need to pray about things. You've got this. The devil wants us to make our decisions based on worldly desires rather than, turning to God's will and praying for his purpose in our lives. You know, again, John says that when you love the world, the love of the Father can't be in your heart. You see, we can't serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other, or hate one and love the other. And I love how Jesus responded in this passage to temptation. Remember, he was out in the wilderness wilderness for 40 days. He was hungry, and saint came along telling Jesus, to just take care of this need. You've got this. You need to do it now. It's not simply bread that keeps us alive. It's focusing and fixating our hearts on the will and provisions of God. It's submitting ourselves to the fact that the one who created us will sustain us. It's saying, Satan, I know what you're trying to do here. I know you're trying to get my attention off God and onto myself. And it's us responding. That that's not going to work. I'm putting it all back in where it belongs to the only one who can meet and sustain our needs. It's focusing on our identity in Christ and not in ourselves. The only way we're to ever walk in victory over the flesh, over the things of this world, is by putting our undivided attention on God, the only one who can meet those needs. Getting our focus on those times where we do struggle with temptation or worry back on the one that can meet those needs, on the one who can sustain us. So where is your identity this morning? Is it in Christ or is it in the world? Do you find yourself at times seeking identity outside of Christ? Do you find yourself often, more often than not, holding on to things so tightly because you're afraid you'll be lost without them, whether it be possessions or even people? As we submit to the will of God, He grows and He matures us in understanding our true identity. As Christians, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, Our identity should only be desired to be in Him. In our flesh, we have things that are riddled with imperfections and selfish pride. We have desires that often reflect our own will rather than God's. We all have blessings that we are prone to hold too tightly to rather than using those for God's glory, such as maybe even the church building to congregate in, vehicles to get us here, and people to worship with. Our identity should only be in God and seeking to bring Jesus the glory through the gifts and blessings God has given us, to share his love with others. It's coming full circle this morning, going back to the original uh, text in 1 John, verse 17. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. The world and its lusts are passing away. This statement would be challenged by many who are confident that the world, this system in which we live, is as strong, is as permanent as anything can be. The world is not permanent. The only sure thing about this, one, this world system, one thing as Christians we can be confident in, is that it is not going to be forever. One day, this system that man created will be gone. All the shiny things, all the self-gratifying things, it all gone. It will all pass away. What is going to last? Only what is part of the will of God. And as Christians, as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, we need to keep our eyes focused on God, on focused on the one true God, who we should take comfort in, in knowing we live through the blood of the Lamb for something far better than the things of this world, something man cannot pervert nor destroy. You see, John contrasts two ways of life here in this passage. A life lived for eternity and a life lived for time. A worldly-minded worldly person, they live for the pride of life, pleasures of the flesh. We as Christians should live for the joys of the Spirit. And as I invite the band back to the stage to close us in uh, worship through song this morning, you know, praise God that He loves us enough to take our broken, rebellious hearts and because of the sacrifice of His Son, Offer us new identity in Jesus Christ. Where is your identity this morning? Have you accepted the grace the Father offers to the sacrificial blood of his Son? Have you died of yourself and found eternal life through Jesus? Anything that robs us of our enjoyment of the Father's love or desire to do the Father's will is of this world. Every believer, on the basis of God's word, must identify those things, those temptations for themselves. You know, uh, as I was preparing this message, I came across, there was a missionary, his name was Jim Elliott, and he was martyred in Ecuador in 1956. He was one of five people that were martyred, but there was a quote I read of his, and I want to share that this morning. Jim Elliott wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'm going to read that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We cannot serve two masters. As Christians, we must decide, is God's grace, is God's will, is God enough? Let us pray. Father, thank you for giving us a a building to worship in. Lord, thank you for the sacrificial blood of your Son. Through Him, we find eternal life and grace in everything we do glorify your name Lord it is my prayer and I pray that it's everybody's prayer in this room right now that those that are lost will soften their hearts and be receptive let this seed of your word be sown in their hearts and let it grow and populate and your kingdom grow Lord Lord forgive us where we fail you And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.